Okay. Yeah. All right. So Greg had it right the first time. I, yeah. I my bad. That's my bad. Oh. Oh. Right. Okay. Of course, I'm always right. Yes. <laughs> I should have known. What was I thinking? Welcome to the Geek and Review, the podcast focused on innovative and creative ideas in the legal industry. I'm Marlene Gaybauer. And I'm Greg Lambert. So in today's program, we bring in someone who I admire for her work in training law students for the reality of a legal practice, Nicole Morris, who is the director of the Tiger Program and professor in practice at Emory Law School in Atlanta. So Nicole comes on to talk about the upcoming Tiger Innovation Conference, which, you know, Marlene, I've told you many times, this was one of the best conferences that that I attended. And I went last year right before, you know, COVID took over the world. And it was, you know, just great to have her on the show and talk about the great content coming up on January 28th. And the best thing about it, Marlene, it's free. Free. We love free. (laughs) We love free. (laughs) Well, let's get to this week's Information, inspirations. First, we are recording just after the presidential swearing-in, and I am pleased to say that the transfer of power was conducted peacefully, as it always does, and as it should be. Yeah, there was one cool thing that I saw right after the inauguration, after the swearing-in, was that the new whitehouse.gov site is up, and there's this clever note that's buried in the HTML code, encouraging digital and web services people to apply to work for the new administration. <laughs> so I have to say, they, they know how to advertise to their market. Yeah, it's like a little Easter egg there. <laughs> <laughs> well, my inspirations are related today, and they are about conspiracy theories. So the first is that there's now an AI tool developed by the Culture Analytics Group at the University of California which can distinguish between a conspiracy theory, what's not true, and a true conspiracy. Now, the tool identifies narratives and looks at this in relation to sets of people, places, and things and their relationships. The tool is processing thousands of social media posts centered around, say, Pizzagate or Bridgegate and reviewing the layers of narrative and then the overall narrative itself. It turns out that after the analysis, uh, the connections between narrative layers fall apart for false stories, but stay strong in the true ones. So I hope we hear more about this. Yeah, it was interesting. There was a meme that was going around this week with the conspiracy theories, and and one was uh, that Finland doesn't exist. Have you seen that one? I haven't seen that one. (laughs) I think that was the one that caught people by surprise. And Finland's uh, like, what? Yeah. (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) So my first inspiration is ILTA, the International Legal Technology Association, has an outstanding five-part podcast series that they are bringing in the winners of their 2020 ILTA Influential Women in Legal Tech Honorees. So the first two episodes are already out, and they include some of our favorite people like Nicole Braddock and Maya Markovich. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a number of international guests uh, who I'm hearing for the first time, and that's really, really cool. And even though it may be the first time, I know it's not going to be the last time because – one of them, um, I'm actually, who's the moderator on episode one, 
Jackie Nagnagal from Cape Town, South Africa, is going to present with me at a class for Drexel's School of Law in a few weeks. So uh, now at least I can hear what her voice sounds like before we meet for the first time for the, <laughs> for the class. So kudos to ILTA for both recognizing these influential women in legal tech as well as giving them a platform to speak to all of us about their experiences and insights. Uh, speaking of ILTA, I also want to give a shout out to Gwen Alpine, who basically put a nice summary of a different KM uh, links together. So I basically have my reading uh, set for me <laughs> for, for the next few <laughs> days. So thanks to Gwen for that. My second inspiration is a nugget in a larger article about false consensus bias. Social media surrounds us with like-minded people, and we post things that we know garner support rather than consider alternative views or even the truth. Misinformation on social media is apparently so rampant that the Washington Post stopped publishing its internet fact-checking column because people didn't seem to care if stuff was true. Yeah. Great. <laughs> so <laughs> the distrust and cognitive bias is so strong that people who fall for hoax news stories are frequently only interested in consuming information that conforms with their views, even when it's demonstrably fake. And this got me thinking about my first inspiration, because, of course, I initially thought, well, an AI conspiracy theory spotter could be a really useful thing, you know, to clarify the truth. But now I wonder if anyone will care. <laughs> Yeah, we're in a we're in a kind of a weird situation and I think even those of us that think we know better tend to fall into these bad habits. So, uh, you know, and I I can tell you that there's been times where I'm guilty as well that, that there's been some things I've had to take down or things that I've consciously left up knowing that it's not 100% true just because it fit a narrative. So, you know, we're we're, we're yeah. all I would say we're all pretty guilty of it in some form or fashion. Yeah, I mean, it's what surrounds us is is what's influencing this. So, um, yeah, it, it's a very interesting article, uh, not for just that little nugget, but for the rest of it. So um, I encourage everyone to take a look. All right. Well, Marlene, hopefully I can pull us out of the dark place yeah. now. Yeah, uh, <laughs> So have you heard of Clubhouse, the new social media app? Well, yes, I have, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> because I sent you an invite today. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, some are saying that this could be the next big social media platform. Some people are saying that because now celebrities are getting onto it. So, oh, that's, so that's why, why it's you becoming, did it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so that's, that's why I did it. I don't know why everybody else is doing it. So uh, right now it's, a, it's an iOS uh, platform only, so you can only use it on your Apple devices. And you have to be invited to the platform by someone who's already on there. And the reason is, is it's in serious beta right now so it doesn't have the platform or infrastructure to go uh, full release yet. So, uh, yeah, so I sent you an invite uh, this morning and hopefully we can uh, explore it together at some point. What makes this really interesting is that this is an audio-only platform and that really makes it different from the other platforms which are text-based, video, picture, like we're used to. The idea is that you create or join a room with a particular topic. The speakers are on the stage and the moderator can pass the mic around to the audience so that others can come up on stage and talk. You can schedule these rooms and events and invite others to join in. 
in a way, it's very much like having a breakout at a seminar or perhaps even a like an interactive podcast. Yeah. And, and maybe once we figure it out, we should see if we could do a live podcast uh, on the platform. What do, what do you think? I think that's a great idea. That'll be some fun to do. That would be some fun to do. So mm-hmm. the and the other thing that I like about it, and it's kind of like when we talked about fishbowl. Uh, I was thinking about fishbowl because it's like well the invite type ago. of thing. Yeah. And so it's really set up as a business style platform. So it's more like an audio only LinkedIn more than it is like the social media content that you see on Facebook or Twitter. Yeah. I could see this being used if you didn't want to use video conferencing. I mean, that this would be something that that people could just sort of jump on and, and, and just all have a discussion about things, um, yep. presentations. Sure. Yeah, we'll give the audience a heads up if we want to do a do a test run. Of We're that. totally yeah. going to try that. <laughs> all right. And that wraps up this week's Information Inspirations. We're very excited to bring on a good friend of both of ours, Nicole Morris, to discuss her work at Emory Law School with the TIGER program and her upcoming TIGER Innovation Conference on January 28th. We have the registration information on the show notes, so we encourage attendance of anyone who's interested in how we can better prepare law students to understand legal technology, as well as entrepreneurs, primarily those who are female and people of color, who are looking for examples of how they can break into the industry. And it's free. And it's free. Nicole Morris is the director of the TIGER program and professor in practice at Emory University School of Law. Nicole, welcome to the Geek and Review. Hello. Hi. Good to have you on. Thank you. So, Nicole, we wanted to talk to you about the upcoming TIGER Innovation Conference coming up on January 28th from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I had the absolute pleasure of attending last year's conference in person, and I still say it was one of the best conferences that I've been to, and it was actually one of the last conferences. I think I went to Legal Week soon after and that was it that was that was it for conferences so i'm I'm glad to have you on here to talk about this year's program i'm happy to be here um yeah it's it's hard planning events during a pandemic um particularly when you're used to doing face-to-face events and you look forward to those events because it's an opportunity to connect people together and to see people you haven't seen in a while and now we're doing it virtually this year but it's safer i'm glad we're able to do something as opposed to canceling it outright. So I'm happy yeah. to well, share. I'm sure people can get their own bad coffee and danishes and, and <laughs> get the whole feel for it. Just, right. just, right. just stand just, up just at a high top moment. table. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, before we talk about this year's event, can you tell us a little bit about the Tiger program itself and what you've done over the past six years since the inception of the program? Yeah, happy to talk about that. So the program is unique to law school or or legal education. It's a partnership with Georgia Tech, and we train law students alongside business students, the MBA program at Georgia Tech, and we bring in PhD candidates um, and students from either Tech or Emory, and that group learns together in a multidisciplinary format on how to take university technology out of the university, so how to commercialize it and build a business with that. So they're looking at business valuation frameworks, sort of a very thin outline of a business plan, some of the initial intellectual property considerations around the technology, um, how to license it out of 
tech transfer offices, for example, and then market analysis and industry analysis to understand where you can be somewhat profitable at the beginning of your enterprise. Is it a one semester program or is it a full year program? So the law students are required to participate for two semesters, which ends up being one year. I think the business students are about a two-year commitment on their side. I decided to shrink it on the law side because I think after two semesters, the students sort of get what they can get out of it, so to speak. There's a third semester, which is optional, and it's kind of a capstone experience. I'd say I get about 90% of my sort of retention of students going through the first year to continue for the third semester. And I run it like an entrepreneurship law class. And I think you guys are both guest speakers one year, or last fall, I should say, yeah. where yep. we it also just, talk about like legal tech. <laughs> I know, I know. Remember, remember all 2019 and 2020? Um, yeah. So I'm able to introduce a lot of really interesting legal tech trends in the capstone course. And I look at it as a um, springboard into their practice future. So what are, what are some of the technology aspects happening in the legal industry that I at least want them to have an understanding of, to see, to hear before they enter practice. So what type of feedback are you getting from students when they they go into the world? Like, you know, um, you're preparing them for some of this technology. How are they feeling about whether they're getting access to it and whether it's prepared them? So I'm actually, it's a great question. I'm actually preparing an impact report that I will summarize kind of the last six years of Tiger and try to get a sense of the data behind some of the anecdotal statements I'm hearing. So anecdotally, I get thank you. Like I get a huge thank you, right? You know, thank you, professor. I didn't have anything like this in my doctrinal classes or some of the other classes I took at, at Emory. Thank you because my firm uses case text or fast case, or we're looking at DocuMate or, you know, that one speaker from so-and-so that mentioned something obscure at the time. Now that's all the rage and everyone's talking about it. So they're grateful and I get a lot of thank yous. And I also, sometimes it allows people to pivot, right? I thought I really wanted to do this, but now I realize I really want to focus on access to justice, or I really want to focus on other issues, social justice issues, because they're not sort of the theme of this year's conference, the the equity issues that become glaringly apparent once we start looking deeper at either AI or who's doing what in the legal tech industry. They feel compelled to act because, you know, obviously all the students at Emory, you know, believe it or not, they are privileged, right? Like it's a privilege to be at this private university and getting this education and they see the disparities and they are compelled to do something about it. So it's a wide range of how the students sort of impacted by these small classroom experiences. But for the most part, I think everyone's thankful. Well, I mean, it's 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 good to hear that that people are thinking of of other opportunities outside what maybe what they originally came in thinking, and and also that they're they're using the technology, and then that you introduce them to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of the theme, let's jump into the conference this year, where your theme is advancing equity and innovation. Can you walk us through what we should expect from the conference this year? 
Yeah. So it's a smaller event, mainly because of the virtual format. Like it's really hard to sort of spend three hours uninterrupted on a Zoom, on a Microsoft team. So it's more of a workshop style discussion. And Greg, you were there before where we would have like a panel discussion, then Q&A. It's still that panel discussion, but I, I describe it as a workshop, meaning I'm hoping the audience becomes more engaged earlier in the topical discussion. So each speaker, we have three segments to the conference this year. So we're going to start on the technology side and looking at sort of the lack of equity among technologists. So in terms of people of color and women, who is represented in terms of the inventorship population? Why is there such a gap for women and people of color in filing applications at the patent office? What are we doing to address those inequities? I've got a speaker from the USPTO who deals with a lot of their education pipeline issues. We're trying to focus a little bit more on the front end of what I'll call the innovation ecosystem, right? So who are the creators and inventors and what what do they look like? Are you narrowing it to innovation and legal or do you have a wider umbrella on innovation? Yeah, it's a wider umbrella. So it's more about STEM and and people of color in, in areas of science and technology, as well as the legal industry. I think in my mind, I'm starting to see a blurring. So I'm an engineer by training, right? So when I first came out into the engineering world, it wasn't cool to be a chemical engineer, right? We were rather vilified as the geekiest and nerdiest. It's sort of like Revenge of the Nerds. Like that movie was like yeah. my reality, right? Did you like, have those glasses? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> nor did I have a pocket protector because I thought that that was, luckily that was more male dominated. So as a girl, I could get away with a purse. But yeah, I mean, we weren't, you know, uplifted, right? Now it's cool to be in tech, right? You know, tech companies are, are sort of like trending and, and popular. But what's happening in terms of, the opportunities for people in straight, you know, engineering, science, hardcore disciplines looks the same as it did when I was coming out in the late 80s and early 90s. And that's, it's deplorable. Like it's really, when I started thinking about putting together speakers for this event, I thought, how are we still talking about the same? How are we still talking about the same thing? Part of the conference on a whole within the theme is to highlight some of the issues and problems, but also to include some discussion on solutions or on programs and initiatives or at least attempting to close the gap, right? So that we understand that there's a huge disparity. Um, well, maybe we don't for those that don't like, so educate those that don't realize there is a disparity, what the disparity looks like, and then what's happening to address and close the gap and so the speakers comprise people who are on both sides of that or or maybe, you know, are involved enough to know um, on the solution side. So we are going to include a wider sense of topical issues on the equity and innovation with the uh, inventorship and more scientific technical community. 
Well, this is really exciting because you're right. Like every year you see the stats about sort of women in tech and, you know, STEM. And it, it's it's always it's always abysmal. It's been so for years. So I think it's wonderful that you're bringing, you know, you're bringing a group of people who, you know, not only are succeeding, but are sharing solutions, um, you know, as well as highlighting the problem. So who are the presenters this year? What are they doing you know, just tell us a little bit about them. Sure. So I'll start kind of in what I'll call is somewhat of the run of show. So we're going to start again with the gaps in the technical community. So we've got Joyce Ward from the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office who works on pipeline issues in the, and she's director of education at the Patent Office. There's an initiative called Invent Together, which is kind of a coalition of law firms and private sort of nonprofits that are looking at what impediments are there to women and people of color even getting into the inventor pipeline? You know, what is it inventorship education? What are some of the barriers and how can we close the gap on there? And Holly Feshner from Covington Burling is a speaker to talk about that because she's active with that organization. And then we have, I'm hoping to get a speaker he hasn't confirmed his um, availability yet, but he's like, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. He's working on the digital divide. So if you went to the LSC conference, you might be familiar with Larry Irving, and I'm hoping Larry can make it work on his calendar. But he's doing some phenomenal work, and that's getting at, again, sort of the access issues with people of color. As I think about the problem and its complexity, it's compounded, right? So if you don't have access to broadband, if you don't have access to be able to learn in a digital environment like we're doing today, you're not participating in the innovation ecosystem at a minimum. Um, if you don't have access to inventorship education through clubs, organization programs, support groups, you're not gonna be aware of what intellectual property rights are, nor are you aware of you know, your creative music and art and writings and maybe even technical prototypes and things like that could be filed as a utility yep. patent or a design patent or a trademark or a copyright. Like you're not aware of any of these issues. So the first part, the speakers are going to look at what they're doing either nationally, globally to address some of those. And then we'll take a break. We'll take a lunch break. We'll take a stretch break. We'll take a whatever break, get a stale Danish break um, and resume with the more legal eagles of the world and what they're doing in terms of advancing equity. So we've got Kristen Sunday, who started or co-founder of Paladin, and she just put out a report on women and people of color as far as legal tech founders. So she'll share some of the uh, results of that work. We've got an academic, uh, Mira Dow, who is now director of Lessy, which is kind of this... Um, behind the scenes organization looking at uh, demographics for law schools. She's going to talk about her recent book where she put together some data and research on race and gender in the legal academy. You know, no surprise there. It looks a lot like race and gender issues in the legal profession um, as a whole in terms of law firms. But she's got some interesting work that she's doing and she'll talk about the work that she um, and the research that she put forth in her book. And then we've got a gentleman from London. So 
I talked to him last Friday and he was like, you know, I'm like the middle-aged white guy on your panel. Are you sure you want me here? And I'm like, yes, if you are here to talk about equity issues, because we need everybody to help, right? So it can't be a discussion of women only, can't be a discussion of black and brown people only, right? Like we need everyone um, here. But what's interesting, he's the managing partner of Kilburn Strode and his office sits in London. So he has a global perspective on what the firms are doing in London. And it was a great chat because he shared some things about um, initiatives that they're starting there to recognize that the managing executive team at most firms in London, surprise, surprise, look the same and that's not good and they need to do better. So he'll share some thoughts. And I loved his vulnerability and, and just sort of plain transparency that, hey, I know, you know, I'm, I'm stumbling on some of these issues. Uh, I'm not great on diversity, equity, and inclusion in terms of discussing it. So I'm here to educate myself as well. And I thought it was a phenomenal conversation sort of as, a, you know, getting him oriented to the theme. And I think he'll be a great speaker. And then we're going to close out with looking at resource equity. So as we talk about entrepreneurship and legal tech founders and founders of color, one of the gaps or one of the issues I'm hearing from a lot of people in the Atlanta area, at least, is we can find mentors all day long, but we're having trouble getting startup capital, right? We need people to write checks to support our ideas so we can build some prototypes so we can get some either sales or marketing uh, efforts put forth, but we need money to do that. And we're still struggling to get funding resources, even if it's just a small de-risking funding that every startup needs, but, you know, startups with the founders of color are struggling still to kind of push through that first stage and milestone. Now, you know, are they going to share sort of resources to gather funding as well as part of the discussion? So, yes, I'm hoping through the audience. So this is where, as we're talking about who's going to show up, I'm hoping audience participation will help us here. But Dorna, who founded Documate, I know she'll participate. I just don't remember like what timing. She's been wildly successful. So we have some successful women legal tech founders who I want to share. How did you, you know, manage this capital raise issue? Like, what did you do? What what would you advise? Um, we've got a gentleman who works with startups here in Atlanta through our Atlanta Technology Development Center, which sits on Georgia Tech's campus. And their main goal as a center is to basically help startups thrive, right? To help them kind of get through early stage, through maturity. And they've got an educational program. They've got an accelerator program. So he'll talk about resources that are available. There's some government resources that are available. What I hope to do with that last segment on resource equity would be to leave with like a roadmap for people that I can share through our Tiger platform that says, here are the six things you should be doing daily, weekly, monthly, whatever the appropriate um, frequency is, or here are the, the methodologies that were most successful for the founders who spoke at our conference, that if you're not deploying these strategies, you should consider. So that's the goal. So people can at least leave the event with some action plan or some sense of, I've got some ideas for what I can do next. 
not to say that they're all going to be, you know, I feel like my lawyer disclaimer has to come on. This is not to say that I can get the same recovery for you if you come to my firm, but I will try to do my best to get you as much money as I can. <laughs> I'm not a plaintiff's attorney. I'm not a personal injury attorney, but I do love their disclaimers. Yeah. It's, I have a disclaimer on my firm's podcast where, you know, results may vary. So. <laughs> results may vary. That's exactly right. You should um, have it on ours. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. Just quickly to go back to your, uh, your speaker from uh, the UK, that kind of reminded me, we had Jennifer Bluestein on talking about mid-level associates. And one of the things that she has been trying to help them with is allyship and that, you know, there's this need for people that aren't necessarily people of color, but there is still a role for everyone to play. But you have to learn how to do that through the, through your allyship. And so uh, kudos uh, to him for, for showing up and, again, um, uh, you know, showing some vulnerability on this, yeah, but that's what I like to, to learn. So, yeah. and that's exactly the word that he um, that he used in our discussion. I said that's exactly right, right? So, what does allyship really look like? What does that mean? And that's part of his uh, his remarks. And I think it'll be really interesting to get the audience engaged in. Uh, you know, we'll probably have some sort of you know, let's not kill the messenger here, like you know. Because I don't know where people will be. One of the things that I've learned in this pandemic, and sadly, 2021 is starting off like the 13th month of 2020. You know, you just never know day of (laughs) where people are coming into your classroom. Like I, I think about this with my students, but where people are coming in, you know, what personal experience they may have had the day before, a few hours before. We'll just try to make sure that everyone is kind and respectful in their remarks and questions, and we can actually have a dialogue. We don't have to agree. That's not at all part of this conference. It's just to have respectful dialogue. Speaking of of, uh, people attending the conference, who should attend the conference? Who who are you looking for to show up? You guys, Marlene and Greg. (laughs) Um, No, I want students to show up. Uh, You know, every year the audience base, you know, that we like to get is the same. Practicing lawyers, and this year, love to get more of the tech, you know, tech community to show up, technologists of color. So the tech community, the legal community, and then those in legal education, students, folks who are trying to figure out a different path and make things somewhat, you know, equitable and believe in, you know, equity and inclusion in terms of their work and their education. How does one find more information and how to sign up? And is there... You know, do you have to register and is there a cost? So the conference is free, which is another perk of, of our virtual world. If you guys can share the registration link, it's all kind of yeah, electronic, we'll, we'll of course. That. You register through our Emory marketing office and then we'll push out the link to the webinar to all registered participants. So we haven't pushed out the, the actual event link yet because we're just still pulling together the folks on the registration list. So you can register as late as the day of or the day before because it's virtual, right? It's just a matter of getting you access, which is nice. And I don't know if uh, you know this, Nicole, but we love free 
around here. <laughs> I was going to, I was going to say, I was like, no, I'm going to let Nicole finish, but it's like, yes, free is, is very important to us. <laughs> we started off as a free event and then we switched to a low sort of fee, mainly because people would register and then not show up. Show up. Uh-huh. Right. And I had food, I had coffee and I'm like, okay, I can't, this is a logistics planning nightmare. So at least the somewhat of a paywall, allowed me to get a sense of who's serious well to to tell my story from last year so i found out it was what 25 bucks to to yeah 35 or something yeah and so i like the same day i i saw that it was 25 bucks i went on and southwest had a a round trip flight to atlanta from houston for a hundred bucks and (laughs) i think i paid like 150 bucks for a hotel room (laughs) so i had a whole conference that was done for you know less than 300 dollars. so yeah oh my god that's that's some conference and 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 then the best one you went to and the best one i went to you know and and by far the the best bang for the buck so thank you we try to deliver value value is important to us thank you well nicole morris from uh, emory university's uh, school of law thank you very much and best of luck for the upcoming tiger conference thank you nicole thank you guys thank you so much well marlene nicole is absolutely one of my favorite people to talk to simply because you can just feel her enthusiasm and sincerity and what it is she's doing there at Emory with the Tiger program. Plus, she is such a geek. Yes. <laughs> so, so Marlene, we had talked uh, before uh, we started recording the interview with Nicole, and we were reminiscing about being at Legal Week last year and watching Nicole go into full geek mode with a patent attorney uh, discussing AI and the potential challenges for patents uh, developed uh, using AI. And I admit that the conversation itself was way over my head, but it was super fun to listen to. Yeah, back when conferences were normal. (laughs) Yeah. It seems so long ago. It was like a year ago. Well, I'm excited to hear what the assessment she is creating reveals. Uh, You know, I know everyone who's attending is getting value. And but what I'm curious about, what I want to know is, is are they able to translate that into actionable projects and work in legal organizations? And to hear about the success of those projects, because, you know, that inspires others and keeps the momentum going. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks again to Nicole Morris for joining us today. We have the links on the show notes on how you can register for free, free. for the Tiger Innovation Conference on January 28th. This is going to be great. Yeah. Before we go, we want to remind listeners to take the time to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Read and review us as well. If you have comments about today's show or suggestions for a future show, you can reach us on Twitter at at GayBauerM or at Glambert, or you can call the Geek and Review hotline at 713-487-7270 or email us at geekandreviewpodcast at gmail.com. As always, the music you hear is from Jerry David DeSicca. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks, Jerry. All right, Marlene, I will talk with you later. <laughs>